0: This is Multinew Media. You're listening to Episode 9 for the week of April 20, 2015. In this episode, Chase Raz and Chris Ayres deliver their top 5 development tool suggestions for web developers and programmers. So with me today is Chris Ayers, and we're talking about our top five development tools. And this is the first top five that Chris and I have done. Our listeners out there, they've heard of another one previously that Christopher Woodward and I did. But this is uh, the first top five that we're doing on a technical nature. And so, Chris, um, uh, thanks for checking in with me today. Anything uh, anything new to report?
1: Uh, not really. Still working on some dotnet middle-tier stuff with web API and on the front end doing some AngularJS stuff with less and CSS3
0: which by the way thanks for getting me me into AngularJS It's starting to consume more of my time than I ever thought it would but uh great tool uh, so Chris I'm gonna take the website if we're talking about web developers what do you need and how about you take the sorta of application side of development sure all right, so let's run through our top five lists that we've come up with, and you know I like where we alternate back and forth, but since we're taking two different fields, I think we'll run through the, the um, perceived lighter of the two. I know web development can be just as complex as application development and vice versa, but let's run through the perceived lighter of the two with web development first and then move into your list. So basically, Chris, that means uh, I'm going to enact my right to go first on this one.
1: That's fine. I'll have an opinion about everything you say. (laughs) Great.
0: All right. So first on my list, if you are a new developer or an established developer for the web, the first thing that you absolutely need, and you can quote me directly word for word on this, is you need an awesome open source code editor. Personally, uh, I actually don't care too much if it's open source. Uh, My favorite is PS Pad. It's a very obscure Windows only uh, program that's... um, that's available from pspad.com, has all the functions you'd expect in an editor. But really, if if we're talking about editors, this can be anything. So many out there, right? it's gonna be preferential. You're just gonna have to do a search and try a few like all of us uh, have done in the past. But here's what you're gonna look for. A good editor is gonna have a few key things. Line numbering, right? If you find an editor and it doesn't have line numbering, run, run quickly. (laughs) i I,
1: I like a good line numbering i mean you know i want my twos to follow my ones
0: everybody does sometimes i like when the ones come after the twos but that's going to be an upside down world in a different situation you also kind of want macros the ability to record uh, some type of key combination and have it repeat things like a hex editor i i never use the hex editor but i look for it in my uh in my text editors and my code editors uh, things like ASCII symbols and ASCII characters and hash generators and FTP, right? I, I don't would,
1: use any of those.
0: You don't use any of those?
1: I like line numbers, but the thing that catches my eye on any text editor, syntax highlighting. If I'm editing JavaScript, I want the vars and the, the variable names to be colored differently than the strings. If you know, And it depends upon the platform. If I'm on a Mac, I'm going to use maybe Text Wrangler or Sublime. If I'm on Windows... I've never used PS Pad, but I've used Notepad++. Uh, I do like that. Now, it has a plug-in system and maybe FTP, but I, I, I don't need cookies in my, my milk, I don't need chocolate in my peanut butter, I don't need FTP in my editor. <laughs> well,
0: this is where I have to give a shout-out to FileZilla. I do prefer, <laughs> I really do prefer, I'm like you, to use a separate FTP client and uh, I use FileZilla. I know people have their preferences. Some people like Qt.FTP. I don't even know if Qt.FTP is around. Is that thing still around?
1: Uh, I'm not sure. I think there's one called uh, Duck FTP or something on the Mac, That it, but FileZilla is available on both. Yeah,
0: FileZilla is available everywhere. Um, so if you're just starting out, start with FileZilla and then you can make a decision from there. But
1: but just personally, I prefer syntax highlighting and numbering to anything else. I don't need ASCII, I don't need HEX, I don't need FTP. I just need text and I need things to be colored.
0: Well, damn you chris for pointing out my coding failures. Actually, no, no, the syntax highlighting is is one I just forgot here. It's kind of the obvious no-brainer. And uh for some reason it's not typed on my list, so I didn't read it. But that is that is something very good. Uh, I'm glad you pointed that out because And,
1: and another thing that's nice if you can do it, if you can have um multiple tabs so you can have multiple files open at the same time. If you can have them side by side where you can, you know, have a maybe some some text editors have a diff capability. There is third-party diffing tools so that you can look at differences. But um, I, I like being able to split my screen. Maybe I have some variables defined at the top, and I split the screen, and then I'm working farther down on the page, and I want to see that variable list kind of referenced at the top. Those features are nice in an editor
0: yeah you know but that's people, just me I, no i agree with that and, and a lot of people will lead for some of these features to things like eclipse and aptana and all of these and um NetBeans. but you know honestly i really think for good old-fashioned web development you just need a simple code editor i don't think you need a full ide for that and and a lot of people like to use ide's but i don't know preference try out everything and then uh, see if you fall where i fall on that or not
1: whenever i learned how to Two web pages um, on a Mac would be a text editor, and on Windows it'd be Notepad. Notepad. You didn't need an IDE. You didn't need drag and drop. You don't need any of that stuff if you don't understand the the basic structure of the page and the tags and how things go together.
0: Oh, you, you know, know that's something I'm going to bring up later. But you have a point. Notepad. You can still catch me from time to time editing a Notepad if I have no other options available. If I'm on a Say, a, now, a client's computer or something like that. Notepad is still a viable option.
1: If I'm on Linux or Mac, I'm a VI guy. I don't need no Emacs. But.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. That's that's going to be a preference, war that you're starting there. Mm-hmm. So my second item is if you're a web developer starting out or experienced, we often forget this fact, and it's a basic fact, but we do forget. You need every single browser you can get your hands on. You also need all of their browser development tools. And if possible, run these things in VM so that you can get every addition that that your customers are likely to use. So if you're testing for IE11 on your system, well, that's great, but someone may be using IE9. And does the site still work?
1: Uh, Chase, as a follow-up to that, Microsoft has released VMs of every version of Internet Explorer available for free. For you to download in versions for VirtualBox, VMware, and Parallels for Mac, Windows, and Linux. Running on XP, Vista, Windows 7, and Windows 8.
0: Yep. And when you get into these browsers, when you're in Internet Explorer, you hit F12 for their F12 developer tools. Which, I don't know why. They tried to style it. They put that F12 in there as a part of the name. It's kind of hokey to me.
1: You can also find it under the options.
0: Yes, um, in Chrome, Firefox, and Opera. Which, by the way, Opera has the best name, right? Nobody does anybody use Opera anymore.
1: Um, again, this goes back to the: Why are you mentioning things that are dead?
0: <laughs> well, but they have a wonderful name for their developer tools. It's called Opera Dragonfly.
1: Well, no, I not? don't know if they're dead or not, but you're the only person I've heard mention them in many years. Well, they
0: also base their stuff on on uh, WebKit and and the same type of thing that uh, Google used to use in Chrome. Yeah. So Safari
1: uses before and and Chrome used to use before they split off onto their own.
0: Yeah. Sorry. I forget about Safari when I'm working on a PC. I forget that that stuff exists. Um, Chrome and and Chrome and Firefox just hit control shift. I, and, uh, you're in your developer tools again, internet explorer hit F12.
1: Um, I pretty much on every browser, just right click and say, inspect element.
0: Oh, that isn't that wonderful.
1: Yeah, I learned to use the developer tools, learned to love the developer tools, um, definitely learned to explore the DOM, and one of the things I can say on the developer tools is look at the computed styles. So you, when you're looking in the developer tools, you can look at divs and, and different individual tags, and when you highlight one, there's usually a style section where you can see every list of classes that's being applied to it and all the different styles, and usually they're crossed out on the ones that get overridden. But then there's a computed tab in a lot of the browser development tools, and you can see what the final result is. So you can say, oh, the height is 400 pixels, and you can hit a little plus sign next to it and go, why is the height 400 pixels? Oh, that rule's active, and it overruled that rule and that rule and that rule. And you can look at exactly why things are set the way they're set.
0: And with stuff like that, I feel like people do need a reminder, myself included, because most of us probably are not using all the developer tools. And I feel that people treat developer tools in browsers much like we treat regular expressions. We cram study when we need them, and then we forget how to do a particular thing, and then we cram study again when we need it. Uh, a second time but but if you if you're not very familiar with the developer tools I would suggest go find a good tutorial on them it's well worth your time to learn every single element in them
1: yeah um, I I use Chrome a lot for my developer stuff and they have an emulation mode and, and I think IE does as well in Firefox you can set I'm gonna emulate pretty much an iPad or an Android phone and you can set the dimensions and it will scale the screen like it is that dimension so you can look at it like it's a mobile version. And another option that's in the developer tools is I'm a print media so I can look at what the print style sheet will look like and you can start coding that or you can emulate a slow network connection so you can see how the page loads if you were on dial up. Um, all of those things are available in a lot of the different web browsers as well as changing the um, user agent string if you want it to be, you know, i7 or, or something else to see how it responds based on what it detects.
0: Definitely want to test your responsiveness. My third choice here is IrfanView. And if you've been on the web long, you know about IrfanView. It's an amazing, um, amazing graphics viewer. But if you are on the web and working on the web, you constantly find a need to batch edit, watermark, resize images, especially in batches. And IrfanView does things like crop, resize, fix color depth, flip, rotate. All of the stuff that you would typically use in your traditional graphic software, but it makes it quick. It makes it simple. Now, view is, is popularly known for working with icon files, right? If you're working in Photoshop or something like that, you're not necessarily going to have the best .ico support for icons, especially in the modern day where you're talking about multi-size icons. Here's a 16 by 16 and a 32 by 32 and a 64 by 64. But IrfanView has amazing support for all of these things. But again, when we talk about the web, batch editing and watermarking and resizing, those are the big ones. And anytime you're working with e-commerce, anytime you're working with anything that's going to have a large image gallery, just an absolute requirement to have that open source and, and freeware software of IrfanView available. And that's spelled, by the way, for those who don't know, it's spelled I-R-F-A-N-V-I-E-W, IrfanView. <laughs>
1: I have not used Urban View in over five years. I, I've I've used GIMP. I've used Paint.net. Um,
0: Both of those would be would be f- fairly good substitutes if you don't right. want to get IrfanView. A- and Paint.net I currently
1: and have the um, Adobe Creative Suite, so I have Photoshop and Firework, Fireworks. And, uh, and those are what I use primarily now. But I, I, I used to use Urban View a lot. I mean, I, I remember using that as a, a great image viewer um, and doing some basic editing. But.
0: And it, it was great back when Photoshop and all the other uh, graphics suites didn't didn't support icon files and favicons when those became big. Uh, View was one of the only things we as developers had access to for very low cost to get us that support. But this transitions into my fourth pick, which is a multimedia suite. And you may fight tooth and nail on this one, and you say, well, damn it, I'm a developer. I'm not a graphic designer, I'm not a video editor, I'm not an audio production expert. But when you're working on the web and you're bringing everything together and integrating, especially with content integration, you have to become a jack of all trades in these fields. So the first and most likely place for most of us to go is what Chris just mentioned, the Adobe Cloud. And I have access to it and the software in the Adobe Cloud specifically that i'd want to call out is you're likely to use photoshop for bitmap or raster graphics illustrator for vector graphics premiere for video audition for audio which is what we're recording in right now by the way and media encoder for transcoding or you can kind of hodgepodge these things together in a different way so some of those pieces of software i like and others i don't and i am lucky enough to have access to adobe cloud but what I actually use is a, is a hodgepodge of things. So I use the Corel Draw Suite to give me Corel Draw for vector graphics and Photo Paint for raster graphics. Uh, I do also have Corel Video Studio, which is an additional purchase with them. But it's it's really light. It's really simple. And I like it because one thing people don't know about Corel is Corel owns a lot of the big name video editing software companies. They've made that acquisition and they, they take some of those features and put it in that cheap little $100 edition. Um, the video studio and it works for me you can also go open source and free source with a lot of these using audacity for audio and handbrake.fr for uh, transcoding and media encoding Mm -hmm. but however you get there open source, the most expensive cloud uh, solution you can find or anywhere in between if you're a web developer trust me, trust me, trust me have a multimedia suite at your fingertips ready to use and understand how to use each of the pieces of software within that suite that you compile or that's compiled for you by another company
1: I'll go ahead and add um, I know on the Linux and Mac side you can get something called Inkscape to help with vector graphics Uh, on the Mac for audio editing instead of audition you can use GarageBand Um, Google has Picasa which is more of a like a photo library thing but you can use it to do some basic cropping and rotating and stuff. Um, I've found that one of the tools I use the most is a PDF viewer. Um, if you are a web developer and you are working with a designer or, or, or with a, uh, a management type person that has PDFs already generated with like site layouts. Uh, they will a lot of times send you a PDF. You know, you might not get the PNGs. You might get the PNGs. I don't know. But they might provide you P- PDFs that have how they want the final product to look. So you might be looking at a PDF as you're you're working in your text editor and viewing the browser. And you're hitting refresh and editing and hitting refresh, comparing it to your PDF. So uh, it's something you might not think about. But, you know.
0: That That is a good point, because if you get a wireframe or a mockup in PDF, you're going to want something that enables you to work with that. So moving to my last selection in the top five for web developers, and this is a big one. This is a large umbrella that encompasses a lot. But I encourage you to get a framework that works with what you're developing or a library or hell, even just a collection of raw scripts, which is my personal choice when I can avoid a framework or a library contrary to what everybody else in the world tells me to do, I tend to do that exact thing and go with a collection of scripts that I've either written or directly edited or have uh, procured through open source.
1: You realize that all three of those things are different. A library is not a framework, is not a collection of scripts.
0: In some cases, they are different. In some cases, they're not. So, for instance, if we take a look at Angular or jQuery, they're going to be separated by... Here's the framework portion of it, and here's the library.
1: Well, you call a library, a framework calls you. So a framework has like hooks, like, hey, I'm going to draw, or hey, I'm going to do this thing. And you write, I'm going to draw, or I'm going to do this thing, and the framework calls that. A library has methods or, or functions there, like, hey, do this thing, and you call it in your scripts. There, there's a clear distinction.
0: So Chris, you bring up an excellent point because I I don't think a lot of people know that and and one of the points I'm trying to get across here um, is actually a a different topic than that. I think we could go on on another show and we really should in the future about the difference between a framework and a library because that's a big topic. But until we get to that, I just want to point out that if we talk about JavaScript as an example here because I'll talk about JavaScript and PHP as examples. So let's start with JavaScript. Things like Angular, jQuery, Mootools, Node.js, Modernizer, Bootstrap. Some of these tools call themselves either a framework or a library and happen to be the opposite. But the point I'm trying to make is make sure you're familiarizing yourself with at least a few of these tools. So if you're in JavaScript, pick one or a few of those. If you're in PHP, pick up on the frameworks of Zend or CakePHP or something similar. And then build your own library of, of modules, widgets, code, uh, on top of all of this. But that is a very good point. It's something we're going to have to explore in depth for folks in the future.
1: Yeah, and each has its place. Like, Node.js is a back-end JavaScript technology. It's run on the server. It's not run on the client. So don't you know say I'm going to be a client developer and then start going with learning Node.js. They're kind of two separate things. Angular is a you know a client side thing bootstrap also has a big like css component so it has a lot to do with styles and like a default look you know the thing that's comparable to bootstrap would be um foundation foundation and bootstrap are like two competing layout and grid type systems but you would
0: classify those like bootstrap you'd classify that as a library right
1: yeah, I, I would classify it more like a library.
0: But they call themselves a framework, and so there's a lot of incorrect uh, usage of these
1: terms. Yeah, I, I think that that would. I think Bootstrap's more of a library. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, thinking about what it does and how you use it. I think
0: we're definitely going to need to revisit this topic in the future and try to clarify things uh, out there a little bit. But for my fifth topic, I do just want to kind of come back to the core of it, though, and say that no matter what you're developing in, whether it's JavaScript, whether it's PHP, whether it's Ruby, whatever you're choosing to develop in, maybe even going a little bit old school and going with Perl. Uh, I imagine there's still (laughs) Perl developers out there, right? There have to be some.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm sure there are. Languages don't ever really die, I don't think. I mean, there's still a need for COBOL programmers. COBOL's
0: still around. I was just going to say the same thing. You're absolutely right. So check the websites, check the FAQs, check the resources and technical documentation on these. Understand if you wanna do animation, say in JavaScript or CSS3, which of these uh, frameworks or libraries or script collections will allow you to do that? Try to target as specifically as possible and learn around what it is you need to accomplish. I also try to argue that people shouldn't find themselves to be too reliant upon uh, these frameworks and or libraries. And it's exactly for the reason that Chris said before. If you don't understand the underlying thing, if you don't understand what's ultimately happening within that framework or library, you're not going to be at a, at a competent point to offer your services and still be able to deal with any issues as they arise. And that's a really big issue that I think a lot of web developers face is they go out in the world and they say, I know how to do you know WordPress and integrate it with jQuery, and I'm a web developer now, and I'm going to offer my services for pay. And you just kind of scratch your head and say that's very good and if you find a niche market you definitely can monetize on that and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that skill set but that's still not going to be enough to create some type of full uh, blown web boutique. Web development top five from me covered. Chris, let's move on to you with the top five for a little bit more application development. What's your top five look like?
1: Well, I'm a .NET developer primarily. I mean, I do a lot of web development as well in front end, but I'm mainly a .NET developer. Um, so for me, if you're going to be a .NET developer, you're going to need a IDE. So you're going to need Visual Studio. Now I realize that on other platforms with other languages, you might pick a different development environment. Um, if you're a Java developer, I know that there's IdeaJ, J, there's Eclipse, um, and though uh, quite a few of those are multi-platform. Um, there is some .NET IDEs that are available multi-platform, like Linux and Mac. Um, a mono developer, Sharp develop. Those run on the Mono platform, and I think those are available for Linux and Mac. And if you're a Mac developer doing iOS, there's Xcode. So the IDE gives you code completion for you know the specific features of your language. They 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 give you a nice editor and folder structure and a project uh, a project management features, uh, and it brings in the compiler so you can actually generate a, a code when you're done. And I would think that a a auxiliary thing to this would be learn the language like if you don't know your language and you don't know the you know dot net what the features are of.NET net or Java what the features are available in Java or objective C what what some of the iOS specific features available to that language you might end up reinventing the wheel because hey they had a little function that did that if you just called it it would do this this thing but you didn't know that so you rewrote it all yourself So,
0: I think it's interesting you started with an IDE because I started with a code editor and I made a joke about you know for bragging rights having it be open source and all this that and the other but we really started in the same place you have to have that work environment whether it's an IDE, a code editor um, you know if we were office productivity people we'd be in Microsoft Office it's, you have to have that core thing that enables you to do the work you do
1: well, I even have uh, an extra little tool I paid money for. I bought It's called LinkPad. Um, it's for .NET on Windows, but it's pretty much a code scratch pad. I, I can just start writing C# code or VB code right into it, and like you know, oh, I got an idea for a little method. Let me write it out and you know feed it some sample data and look at the output.
0: See what I, happens.
1: Right, and I can do that with C# and it, it's a great little tool. Um and they have a free version that's awesome, but the like i I bought a license because it added code completion and I think code completion's an awesome little little thing it, it really adds uh, to the experience
0: yeah definitely you know on any of these and I want to put this point in here because I mentioned I use PSPAD on uh, as a code editor on Windows um, on any of these even though that's freeware that I use check the open source stuff the freeware some of it still is not. Uh, under the license that's provided um for commercial use, so definitely check if if you can support other developers out there who make these tools, please don't hesitate you know buy some of these tools make sure that your software that you're using is is okay for commercial work if you are doing commercial work, and if not, take the proper steps and get everything licensed get everything uh paid for it It really helps the developer community uh move forward
1: all right um Next thing I have is plugins. Like me personally, Visual Studio is great, but there are some plugins for me that make my life easier. Um, So one of the ones I definitely use is uh, Web Essentials. It's a free plugin that added in the Visual Studio adds support for Less and Sass and CoffeeScript. And um, those are CSS uh, type languages and JavaScript type languages but it also does minification. So it'll make the CSS min file and the, the JS min files. Um, it adds better code completion and syntax highlighting for you know, the JavaScript and less files. So it, it adds a little bit of extra web goodness to Visual Studio. Uh, and that's something I personally use um, and I really, really like. Uh, another thing that I found very helpful um, over the years as a developer is uh, a plugin called ReSharper. Now, ReSharper is a paid plugin. It, it does cost money, but it adds a lot of utility function. It Visual Studio already has some static code checking, so it'll tell you if you have bugs, but ReSharper tries to make your code better. Um, like if... Um, it adds tools for refactoring code, for moving functions, for extracting methods. Like you can highlight some code and say, hey, make this into a function all by itself. And it'll, it'll take the code and move it somewhere else and make a method. And it'll call it from where it originally was. So it, it has some really cool features to help you move code around and refactor code. Um, if you did some stupid stuff in code, like you're like, hey, if this is true, do this thing. It'll, it'll have a little squiggle under it, and it'll say, "Hey, it's always true." You can remove the if. Like, it'll make code suggestions to make your code better. You can um, set coding styles and coding standards in the Resharper tool, and it'll tell you if you write code that doesn't match those standards. And you can uh, do code cleanup to kind of enforce those standards. Add spaces, add semicolons, indent things. Um, And Visual Studio already does a lot of those things, but ReSharper kind of takes it to another level.
0: I like the extensibility because let's say you have a particular IDE you like to use, but it doesn't support a language that you need to work with. Um, These types of add-ins, for for instance, one that I like to use is um, there's a PHP extension for Visual Studio. Visual Studio doesn't automatically support PHP and just um, pop an add-in or an extension in there and bam, you're working in PHP.
1: Yeah, they have extensions for. I think there's even a Java extension now. There's one for Ruby and Python. I, but you know, I'm a .NET developer, so that's what I know. I've done a little bit with Xcode and a little bit with Eclipse. And Eclipse is very extensible as well. Um, like Eclipse can do C++ instead of just Java. Eclipse has PHP modules for it as well. Um, but you know, again, I'm a, a Windows developer, so. This is what I know. Right. Um, uh, th- th- the next thing is, I, I'm i not going to lie, I use Stack Overflow. Like if, if you're working hard on a problem and you can't figure it out or you see something weird and you're not sure why it's happening, I go and look for the answer on Stack Overflow.
0: You're making but- me jealous here because I, I feel bad for not putting some type of community element in uh, you know, you don't have to lie about that. Stack Overflow or any other type of, of, of community, absolutely critical for any developer doing right. anything.
1: Well, th- th- there's, there's a huge difference between someone who just Googles for some code and copies and pastes it into their stuff and someone who is trying to understand a problem and is looking for solutions and answers and why it's happening. And that's definitely two different classes of programmers. There are people out there who will, will Google something, copy and paste it and see if it works and not even try to understand why. But then, I, I and I think that Stack Overflow can work for those people just fine, but I use it for, I'm trying to understand why it happens. And sometimes there's a code snippet, that, but there's usually a great explanation on what's happening. Maybe I didn't configure something right, or I'm calling a method Slightly wrong, or I didn't set it up right before I called it, or you know there's this weird case, and there's a bug they know about, and it links to a bug report for that library. And you know here's how you get around it. You know, but Stack Overflow is definitely a tool I use.
0: I, I agree with that. Um, you know there's nothing against copying and pasting, especially when you're lost, but the thing is, you have to attempt to understand what's going on so that you can do it yourself the next time. And uh, understand how the language or how the thing you're working on is is supposed to work, and without that, you're you're lost. So e- excellent choice with the community.
1: Um, now this is kind kind of a more advanced thing for for developers, but and you might not see a lot on the website, um, or you might, depending. Um, I think a a unit testing tool is essential to application development. So on the um, Microsoft and .NET side, I use the, either Use NUnit or Microsoft Test Runner. Microsoft Test Runner is built into a Visual Studio Professional. Uh, NUnit is a free, open-source uh, unit testing package. Um, there's also, if you're on the Eclipse and Java side, there's JUnit. There's CxS Unit. Um, there's so many different types of X whatever Unit. Um, Libraries out there for whatever language you want. Um, That's the one I use a lot. But uh, so unit testing pretty much says, "Hey, I'm writing some code. I want I want to write an add method. It takes two numbers and adds them together. I'm going to write tests on that, so that if I pass in one and three, it expects the answer four. And if it doesn't." my code's not right and it fails and it tells me that those two aren't right or you know it doesn't handle negative numbers right and I pass in a negative number it blows up the unit test will catch that and tell me so you know I I write tests for my code to make sure it continues to operate and as time goes on and I go back and I make more changes to my code I can rerun my tests to make sure it still works as expected and I didn't break anything you know some people use it to help with their regression tests, but, you know, those are unit and integration tests. And so I like a a testing tool. Um, On the website, if you use a lot of JavaScript, there's a framework called, or a a library called Jasmine, that Jasmine can, and Karma, those things together can run your unit tests in JavaScript. And you can, you can write tests on your JavaScript code on the front end. and something I started learning recently was there's also end-to-end testing. So if you have angular or html or, or markup, you can do end-to-end tests that select an element on a page, enter some value in an input, click a button and then expect the rendered html to be something. So if you need to do a search and get back a list, you can actually test that you select a field, you type in a search thing, you hit a button and The screen will now, you know, it'll select this div and it'll contain a list and it can check the results of that. So you can test your markup, you can test your JavaScript, you can test your middle tier, you know, and everything is working as expected. So
0: Yeah, I was going to say on the website, we don't see a lot of that except for in JavaScript. Um, I haven't really gotten that far into any of it. Um, I don't use it, but... Definitely, I think I'm going to take a look at some of those now and, and yeah. try to try to figure out what there is for JavaScript and maybe even PHP for those.
1: Uh, the the website, the end to end testing. Um, I was looking at a tool called Protractor. Um, in the JavaScript side, I was looking at a tool, like I said, Jasmine and Karma. I was using Grunt and Gulp as uh, a, a uh, kind of a package manager. It would. Uh, minimize and compress the JavaScript and CSS. It ran on top of Node.js, but it would go through and take all your code and compile it down pretty much and run all your unit tests and make sure your your code was good. And uh, then in the middle tier, I use NUnit or the Microsoft Test Runner.
0: Okay, so I, I think we're down to number five on your list, aren't we?
1: Um, learning websites. So I've been a middle tier developer for a long time, but a few years ago, I realized that the web was kind of the way things were headed, the Internet of Things with cars and microwaves and washing machines. And I started learning JavaScript better. Um, to be honest, W3 Schools is not a the one I would recommend because some of the stuff is a little off, but I did come across Code Academy. I, I, I kind of fell in love with Code Academy, actually. Because They have multi panes. It's very much like JS Fiddle where you can see the HTML and the JavaScript and the CSS on one side of the screen and you can, you know, work on the problem and submit your code and see the result on the other side of the screen. And they have classes for JavaScript and HTML and CSS and Python and PHP. Um, And and you can go back and kind of brush up on some of the basic javascript stuff or basic css stuff and it is a really good interface and if you get stuck on problems there's like a community forums that can offer suggestions and hints um i i I like that website as a great as as a way to learn some stuff
0: it's an excellent interface and 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 in fact codecademy.com uh, we'll put links to a lot of the things we're talking about in the show notes for this episode. Um, but yeah, you got me into Codecademy.com, and I was brushing up on JavaScript and PHP, some of my main languages, and uh, really wonderful interface. If, if you've ever tried to learn a language and you've used Rosetta Stone, and you know the difference between using nice software like Rosetta Stone that gets you up and moving quickly as opposed to taking a class, which is slow and a lot of book learning, um, this would be the, the Rosetta Stone of programming, of we're going to jump you right in, we're going to walk you through step by step, and by the end of this tutorial, you're going to be somewhat functional. You're not going to know the language, but you're going to be able to work with it.
1: Um, I did come across a couple other nice learning websites. Uh, CodeMentor.io was, was was pretty nice. It had a number of languages. And then depending upon the language, there's definitely some specific um, sites like there's learn Python sites for Python. There's some Ruby sites specifically to learning Ruby. Um, A lot of the frameworks and libraries have tutorials on how to use them. And they have example use cases like on the bootstrap site. Here's how to make a dropdown. Here's how to make a button. Here's here's how to do a modal that, that makes a pop up. Yeah. So, there's usually lots of ways to learn things, but you know, you can go buy a book. I'm not saying don't go buy a book if you want to go buy a book, but some people can learn on the web, and there are tons of ways to do that nowadays Definitely. for whatever language you want to find.
0: It's just going to be a little bit of a uh, Google or a Bing search for folks to figure out. What's the, the learning tool for them specifically, depending on what they're working on? And, and trust us, it's out there. Uh, again, books are good like we were talking about. These websites are great. These tutorials are great. Um, it's just going to take some time for you to find what you're looking for specifically. So Chris, with both of our top five lists accomplished and time running a little bit short, I want to leave you with the final question to answer for our audience. If someone listening is maybe brand new, uh, hasn't developed before uh, and they're, they're wanting to get into this, maybe a, a younger listener or somebody who has a different career and wants to start getting into development a little bit or never really thought they had the skill but are learning over time that they do, what would your biggest piece of advice to someone brand new in the field be?
1: Find something that interests you. There are so many kids that are like interested in RuneScape. I mean, still, I'm surprised too. But that...
0: (laughs) Yeah, I was a little bit like, are you really talking about RuneScape? But yeah, it's still around. No,
1: there was a friend that was the son of my... My friend's son, or... uh, uh, My son's friend was interested in RuneScape and he learned how to mod RuneScape. And so he started learning program for that. There are some kids who really love Minecraft so much that they start learning how to make Minecraft mods and they start learning Java through that, or they just like Minecraft and they like the little like redstone and other b- blocks and they start learning logical concepts through Minecraft, like making your cart go around. Um, some people uh, just come across something cool, they have an idea and they want to learn how to implement it, so they, they start learning HTML and JavaScript. Find something you care about. I mean, yeah, for some people it's just a job, but I will tell you that as being in the development field for over 10 years, I know the developers who are this year, just there for a job and they're not usually very good. The people that actually are passionate and are excited about technology and wanna learn this stuff because they it, it excites them and they wanna mm-hmm. be better at it, you can tell that right away and they're the good programmers. And, and you might get a basic entry level job if you're just doing it for a job but you're not going to go very far.
0: I said that was the last question, but let me sneak one more in. What about adults or, or maybe even kids who don't believe they can develop? What would you say to
1: them? Everybody can develop. I mean, the president just did a, a, an event about this. There was a coding day. There's, there's whole um, charities for getting kids coding and girls coding and parents coding. Um, everybody can do it. If you can... Follow a recipe, bake a cake. If you can hook up your stereo by following instructions, you can program.
0: All right. Uh, Excellent words to live by. Chris, thank you so much for your time as always. I look forward to talking to you again soon in future episodes. No problem. Sadly, that's all the time we have for this week's episode, but as always, reach out to us at feedback at multinewmedia.com with any questions, comments, or follow-ups you may have. Also, be sure to check out our site at multinewmedia.com. And until next week, take care.